The Selfish Path to Romance. Download Chapter 1 for free at drkenner.com and at amazon.com. How is he? Oh, his lungs are filled with fluid. His whole body is just shutting down. Even if we could get him to a hospital, there's nothing they can do for him there that we can't do here. Now, we went down to visit my father-in-law in Florida, and we, he had, was in the hospital, and the doctor called us in and pulled us aside and says, he's got six months to live. Now, what do you do with that? He's dying of liver cancer that went undiagnosed up until this point. He's 89 years old. And what type of decisions do you make at that point? You're in shock. With me to discuss this is Dr. Ed Martin. He's the medical director of Home and Hospice Care of Rhode Island. And we'll deal with some of the more difficult questions today. Dr. Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you. What, what do you do? I mean, how as a doctor do you deliver difficult news? And what are some of the bad ways that doctors do it? And what are some of the better ways? Well, I think it's one of the toughest jobs that physicians have, but it's one that if you don't do, um, you're really doing your, your patients and, and family a terrible disservice. Um, I think nowadays the expectation is in, in healthcare is that patients basically are part of the decision-making process. The days of the doctor simply deciding on a, on a course of treatment and the patient going along with it, I think, are, are gone. But there's really no way that a patient and, and family can participate in the decision-making without the good information. So I think you know, right up front that the patient needs the information. Um, but as I say, I think we haven't done perhaps the best job in the past of, of doing this, which is why I think it's actually a focus now in, in medical education is to teach physicians how to do this uh, more effectively. Um, and to begin at the beginning, I mean, we start by you know explaining that it really needs to be done in, in an appropriate setting. This is not something we want done in the hallway or in the elevator. Um, that and that's what it was with my father-in-law. I think we were just pulled aside and in a corridor of the hospital, and he says he's dying of liver cancer. Yeah. First time we hear it. Obviously, that's. that's he said he the, won't uh, live till his next birthday. Yeah, that's not the the ideal setting. And the other thing that's important is to is to decide if the patient wants to be involved in the discussion. One of the things we emphasize is that if the patient wants to know, they have absolutely every right to be involved in the discussion. And then it's up to them if they want uh, family members, friends, others involved in the discussion. But uh, ultimately, it's, it's the patient's decision. Now, occasionally a patient will say, oh, no, no, don't tell me. Tell my children. They're the ones who make the decisions. Uh, but ultimately, it's, uh, it's the patient's choice. Uh, the other thing we talk about is, is not giving people death sentences. Um, now, in, in not saying uh, you have six months to live or you have three months to live. Now, now courts can do that. Courts can give people death sentences, but physicians can't. Mm -hmm. Now, what we can do is we can let people know that, gee, given this condition, given this disease and what treatment's available and what our experience is, you know, we think, you know, that, you know, the range is going to be, say, weeks to months or, you know, three to six months or, but that, you know, like everything in medicine, there's tremendous variation, and sometimes things progress more quickly, or sometimes people will do better than expected. I think the reason for that is because this, this is not an, you know, an exact science, um, and that even in hospice, we'll have patients admitted to hospice who do better than expected and end up being discharged from hospice. Mm, but we that's, certainly want, that's fascinating. Yeah, but we certainly want patients and families to have the information that they need to make the decision, and we often talk about hoping for the best and preparing for the worst uh, so that they really have all the information 
with which to make decisions. And now you're saying you get the patient involved. How do you deal with the devastating feelings that they go through, the loss, the anger, the guilt, feeling isolated, possibly feeling as though family members will abandon them? Well, I think one of the best ways is to just identify exactly what you said up front. To, to One, to let patients know that it's okay to express their feelings. And again, I think years ago we were taught that while you want to maintain your distance from your patients, you want to just be objective, you want to um, don't upset the patient, don't. And so many times I think there may have been a reluctance to give bad news that may have upset the patient. But the reality is when you're given devastating news like this, it's upsetting. Um, and so you're going to have many times a very strong emotional response. And so I think it's it's important that as as you know as caregivers as physicians and health, other health professionals that we're comfortable with that we're comfortable with sitting with a patient who's extremely is extremely sad and and be able to sit with them while they express those feelings. So not to try to repress those feelings exactly. to give them the right to validate what they're going through. Absolutely. And what what would you do if let's say I had breast cancer and you found out it was terminal? I went through the whole cycle. I went through the treatment, choosing what treatment I wanted, starting it, maintaining it, following up, and then there's treatment failure. The cancer returns and it's pretty serious. How would you introduce the idea of hospice to me? Hey, I got to interrupt this because we've got to pay some bills. Thirty seconds. That's it. A very quick ad, and then Alan will be back. Romance. Oh. I wish guys knew more about what we want from a relationship. <laughs> Boy, I wish I knew more about what I want. Where's that ad I saw? Ah, uh, here it is. The Selfish Path to Romance. A serious romance guidebook. Download Chapter 1 for free at SelfishRomance.com and buy it at Amazon.com. Hmm, The Selfish Path to Romance. That is interesting. And then there's treatment failure. The cancer returns and it's pretty serious. How would you introduce the idea of hospice to me? Well, I mean, one of the things we might talk about again is in terms of sort of hoping for the best and preparing for the worst. But one of the first things is to identify what your goals are at that point. Um, because many people will get to a point where they'll say themselves, look, you know, I've fought this long enough. I just, there's, you know, I can't go through another another treatment, especially when, you know, they've give, given the information that, that unfortunately there really isn't good treatment available at that point for their illness. Um, but the other thing I try in introducing hospice, I think there's often a concern that, that and I try and reassure them that, that hospice is for those people who are in the final hours of life, that hospice is, means giving up. And really hospice means none of those things. Really the focus is on, on hospice is really on maximizing the quality of life for whatever time you have remaining. Uh, be it days, weeks, or months, and that really is the focus. And if you know you do better than expected, great. If something new comes along and you decide to leave hospice and pursue other treatments, that's great. Um, but it really is focuses on the individual and, and provides a you know variety of services to the individual based on their needs at that point in their illness. Yeah, I thought it, hospice was terrific. We called hospice in, and my father-in-law looked a little shocked when he heard it was hospice because he held a lot of the myths that you're talking about. That is like a death knell. Life mm -hmm. is over. And what it permitted him to do was to die at home. He was able to live his final weeks at home with care, eating chocolate ice cream, which they would never allow in, uh -huh. you know, it, uh, elsewise if, he were, if they were on the premise that they were trying to cure an incurable liver cancer, then they probably wouldn't allow that. But they allowed him to enjoy the last days of his life, living more routinely. Yeah. Yeah, the focus really does change. And in fact, there are several studies, you know, particularly looking at cancer patients, that has 
them that really you think, well, gee, if they go on hospice, their survival is going to be shortened because they've given up all these great treatments. In fact, when you look at advanced cancer, there's really no difference in survival. What there is a difference is in quality of life. Um, and so certainly for patients who, who want that you know, increased quality of life, it can certainly make a huge difference. Yeah, and I, I absolutely saw that with him. I, he was uh, able to talk with me clearly, cogent, the very the day he died. Mm-hmm. You know, that morning we spoke, and that evening he faded away. Yeah. And it was, it, it, to me, it was, uh, uh, the alternative of watching him go through pain would have been awful. Yeah. And to know that he was in pain. But they came in, and they gave him morphine and, you know, mild doses, and monitored the pain and it was palliative care what is palliative palliative care well really palliative care i think that probably the best it's simply care that focuses on symptom control uh, relief of symptoms and improving quality as opposed to cure right right as opposed to prolonging survival so palliative care might refer to the control of of any symptom not just pain but shortness of breath nausea um, confusion, change, you know, changes in, in mentation, basically all of those things I think would be addressing all of those symptoms would be considered palliative care. And how could someone get in touch with hospice? We have people listening from all over the country. Is there a website or is there a number oh, that yes, they could there, call? There is a website, and, but there is a, is a phone number and, um, you know, probably in terms of getting, you know, Staff, you know, sort of Monday through Friday, you know, 8:30 to 4:30 would be the best times in terms of getting staff to answer questions. But certainly, uh, if it's after hours and an emergency, and you know, a family you feel a family member is in urgent need of hospice care, uh, the agency is open, you know, 24 hours. And you know, the website would be what, Dr. Martin? The website. Um, I'll have to get you. It's uh, I think it's hhcri.org. Okay, that's for Rhode Island, and you can look in your phone book if you're elsewhere. This is Dr. Ellen Kenneth. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Ed Martin from Home and Hospice Care of Rhode Island. Thank you. For more Dr. Kenner podcast, go to drkenner.com and please listen to this ad. Here's an excerpt from The Selfish Path to Romance, the serious romance guidebook by clinical psychologists Dr. Kenner and Locke. Sally left Wayne a curt Dear John note, Wayne was crushed. He had idolized her. As he thought about it more, however, he realized that he had never felt at home with her or loved by her. Behind Sally's good looks, there was no real self. She was a narcissist who used Wayne to get money and attention, but she never showed a personal interest in him. Clearly, he should have gotten to know her as a real individual. Intoxicated by her beauty, he gave her an unlimited benefit of the doubt about everything else. Even when we keenly observe and accurately evaluate a potential partner's behavior, a person may be adept at temporarily camouflaging bad character traits. You can download Chapter 1 for free by going to drkenner.com and you can buy the book at amazon.com.